Podcast episode 347. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And here we are doing another John of All Trades episode shortly after I told you I was pulling back. Well, you know what? Time makes fools of us all. And when good shows present themselves, I will make space in my life for an interesting story, a cool challenge, and a great dude. And that's what we have this week in Drew Francis. Now, Drew Francis, I met through Kitcaster. Kitcaster is an agency that hooks up interesting people with good podcasts. In this particular case, what is Drew Francis doing? And I'm going to read from his website, drewfrancisfit.com. The state of Colorado has 58 peaks that rise over 14,000 feet in elevation. The current record to climb all the peaks is 9 days, 21 hours, and 51 minutes. His goal for the summer of 2023 is to break this speed record, and he wants to do it in under 9 days. Holy crap. Yes, let's talk. Drew, come to my house and lay this on me. It's a fascinating, fascinating idea that I have no interest in doing myself. But my God, tell me everything. So Drew is 22 years old. He's a firefighter. He's an ultramarathoner. And he got this crazy idea after watching his mom suffer through cancer. He thought, you know, I'm going to use my body. I want to build it up. I want to be an inspiration for health and for endurance. And so let's tackle this crazy goal. Let's climb all 58 14ers in under nine days. Wow. So this episode, the first 10 minutes, we're talking largely about firefighting. So you get kind of a threefer in this episode, which is always great. But I asked him some questions about firefighting. I've only had one other firefighter on this show, and that's a really cool slice of life. If you don't know what a day in the life of a firefighter is like, Drew shares it with you. Then we kind of pivot to talking about watching his mom go through cancer, and that leads into the inspiration of why do this crazy goal. And I ask him about the hows. I ask him about who's going to be with him. I ask him about fundraising. I ask him about making sacrifices, training, recovery, all sorts of stuff. This episode is jam-packed with cool, cool info with just a great dude. It was so fun getting to sit down and talk with Drew, and I'm happy to bring this show to you. So... Jam-packed episode, going to bring it to you in just a second, but first, want to give some love to our sponsor, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I know that's not their website anymore. It will take you where you need to go. If you're doing anything in the online space, whether you're running a campaign, you're building a website, you're trying to reach people where they are, they can put together a dynamite package for you, whether it's email marketing, whether it's social media advertising, whether it's just basic web marketing, they will get your message in front of the people who need to see it most. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Additionally, I'd like you to check out Happy Friday. That's my regular weekly show now with Kevin Batstone and Arthur Raw. We run down the week that was. We give you lots of fun stuff. We have a lot of laughs. It's a great way to kick off your weekend. That's Happy Friday Denver. Go to milehighlife.com. And you can find our podcast along with tons and tons of other great podcasts on that network right there. MileHighLife.com. Happy Friday drops every Friday at 5 a.m. So it's there for you, ready for you as you go into work or whatever you're doing on Friday. 
Now then, let's get to episode 347 of the John of All Trades podcast. My guest is Drew Francis. He is a firefighter, and he's attempting to break the 14er record here in Colorado. He's going to hike all 58 of them in under nine days. He tells me all about it. It's a phenomenal episode, and it starts right now. One thing I've always kind of wondered about, just because it is sort of baked in the mythology of firefighters, Yeah. do you guys make good chili? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. Um, I personally have been working on my cooking skills being a newer fireman, but there are some senior guys that, that cook some awesome chili. <laughs> okay. How, yeah. how long have you been at it now as a firefighter? I've been in the fire service for a total of three and a half years now, almost four, okay. um, at, a certain, at this department right now for about two. Okay. Yep. And what compelled you to get into firefighting? I think, I mean, it originally started when I was in high school. I grew up in a smaller town, eastern Colorado, and that fire department allowed volunteers. So which, which one? I grew up in Elizabeth. Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah I know Elizabeth. Okay, yeah. so you're still kind of in that general region. Yeah. Yep, yep, okay. yep. I still live out that way. While I was in high school, they would allow us on our off hours. I would go and sort of hang out at the firehouse um, when I was a junior or senior in high school. And they would let me hang out, run calls, get to know the guys, and really just get to know the fire service culture. So that's kind of where my love for the job sort of fostered and began. And then from there, it's sort of like a slippery slope where it begins with (laughs) EMT school. You go to the fire academy. I went to paramedic school and it all happened. I mean, relatively quickly as far, you know, speaking. So I think it kind of just fell into my lap and I, I got super lucky and loved the job right away. Um, In a lot of ways it chooses you, right? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you hear that about everything from comedy to auto repair to entrepreneurialism. It's like it it kind of presents itself to you. And if you're open to it, you go, yeah, no, I'm into this because this is what I'm used to. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's funny. Yeah. Because, I mean, I wasn't super exposed to that. I I never never had that desire. I was like a good enough athlete, but I didn't think I had the physical capabilities of doing that either. Right. Because the... The, the physical portion is fairly demanding when they're testing you to be a firefighter, yes? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, and I think depending on what departments you look at, there's different standards. But across the board and nationwide, I would say it's kind of revered to be a firefighter and also be in good physical condition. Yeah. And I think a lot of that becomes with just it's a responsibility of the job. I think yeah. when, you, when you take the <laughs> oath to protect and serve and serve the community, I think it's it's not – unfair to show up out of duty and out, out of shape but it's it's unprofessional really yeah to show up out of out of shape and i think people are relying on you to be in at least good enough shape to be able to rescue their kid out of a window or right. put water on fire or do whatever you need to do to accomplish your task so definitely in the fire service being fit is revered i would say sure yeah. hey, break down this damn door right yeah absolutely. like i yeah. mean there's there's a lot of physical tasks. So this is Drew Francis. I was hooked up with through KitCaster, through We Know Brandy Whalen together, yep. which is great. You're not only a firefighter, but you are going to attempt a record here that is a, one of the most Colorado things I think I've ever heard. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, where, where you're going to break records in terms of 14ers. We're going to get into that in a minute. But I want to stick on this firefighter topic a little bit because okay. I've only had one other firefighter on this show, which I really, really enjoyed. Okay. Yeah. Tell me a little bit, just part of what we do on this show is a day in the life. Okay. Right? So when you go in for a shift how long is a shift typically so we work two days on four days off okay so it's 48 96 is what we call it okay and we're there for the full 48 hours wow yep so you're like sleeping there and (laughs) sometimes sometimes we sleep sometimes (laughs) sometimes we don't (laughs) a lot of it depends on what station you happen to be at and how busy you are 
I work on a, a medic. But theoretically, right like yeah. you're not going home at any point. No. You're, you're there on location. Yep. You grab some sleep where you can. Yeah. Right? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and luckily the fire service is evolving where where you realize that sleep is important now, which oh, is great. Hey, how about that? <laughs> so if you don't sleep at night, naps are sometimes okay now, nice. <laughs> and maybe even encouraged, which is great because if you look at a thirty year career and not sleeping for a third of that, obviously. <laughs> Very unhealthy. It's going to be limiting. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But we are there for a full 48 hours. Um, we sleep when we can at night, uh, but we run calls the entire time, work out, train, all that sort of stuff. Wow. Okay. In a 48-hour shift, how many calls are you going on on average? And what are the nature of those calls? Because, I mean, you're not putting out fires every time, presumably, right? No, absolutely not. Yeah, the fire service is definitely a large majority medical at this point. Okay. Um, depending on what station you're at, call types and amounts will definitely vary. At my station right now, it's definitely heavier medical, like I think most of the fire service. And we'll go from anywhere from 10 to 20 to 25 calls in a 48-hour period. Okay. Uh, usually our weekends are a little busier. Hmm. Uh, weekdays tend to be a little slower because my station's in sort of a bedroom community where people oh, leave sure. during the day, come home at night. But yeah, 10 to 25 is a pretty <clears throat> average amount, I would say. Good God. And so my last interaction with the fire service was my wife was pregnant. And tore her meniscus, had a bucket handle tear in her meniscus. Okay. Could not move it. We ended up calling paramedics. Mm -hmm. Firefighters showed up, hauled her out, put her in an ambulance, and then took her to the hospital. Yeah. So is it stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we go, of the 10 to 25 calls for service is what we we call them. I mean, I would say 80 to 90% are medical related in nature. Okay. The other 10 to 15% are Vehicle accidents, car fires, house fires, mm. gas leaks, animal rescues, that sort of stuff. Um, so animal rescues. <laughs> like the old yeah. cliche? Yeah, that is very true. Really? Yeah. You're getting a cat out of a tree? We get more dogs <laughs> dogs and ponds than cats and trees. Dogs and ponds, sure. <laughs> yes, that's Especially this time of year, right? Yes, that's very true. Yeah, right okay. now, ice is unstable. But yeah, I mean, we always talk about... If you call 911 and you didn't break a law or commit a crime, then the fire department shows up. Oh, sure. So really, we have an all-hazards approach to emergency management is how we talk about it. And we're expected to show up and make a positive affect on the situation pretty much regardless of of what's going on. So, I mean, when that alarm or alert or whatever Mm -hmm. dispatch goes off, Mm -hmm. how quickly do you know what you're getting? So luckily for us, our system will sort of... They, it gets kind of starts off with a gross description, and then we get more defined as we mm. go in route. Okay. But our initial tone out will go out as a medical assist, a car fire, a vehicle fire, and sometimes they'll even define those medical assists down further into stroke or heart attack or cardiac event or something like that. Okay, sure. Based off, our dispatch is amazing, and they can sort of screen the call and pick up certain – they'll ask certain questions and get certain cues. And then when we go responding – we get additional information through our computers and okay. route, which sort of tells us patient age, what's going on, that sure. sort of stuff. Yeah. I produce a podcast. I don't think I've ever mentioned this on this show, but I produce a podcast. I'm like a – call it like a story editor for this show, but it's called the Air Methods Pre-Hospital Education Podcast. Oh. So it is like helicopters, air methods. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you're, Are you familiar with them? Yep, okay. absolutely, yeah. So, and it is their team's – talking about a case that they had okay and so and sort of almost doing like a monday morning quarterbacking of it like so here's what we had what would you do in this situation there's three doctors who are sort of analyzing the case and then interviewing the people who are actually there how did this unfold and things like that it's a phenomenal show and especially someone like you I, i imagine would have great interest in it yeah absolutely it's kind of funny. I think culturally we think firefighters. We're not necessarily thinking medical. Yeah, that's very true. When you got into this, did that match up with what you were expecting because you had experience in high school? Or is it a pivot for you mindset-wise? Yeah, absolutely. I think in the fire service, you, we kind of take 
I think there's two different approaches if you look at nationwide in the U.S. as a fire service. There's the fire services that do EMS and fire together, mm-hmm. and there are fire departments that do only fire and are sort of forced to go to medical calls, okay. um, <laughs> which is definitely a, a shift there. So my department yeah. is <laughs> my department is EMS and fire. We okay. do both. So our our firefighters are also paramedics a lot of the times. Some departments are totally separate, and they're only EMTs, or they have no medical training, and they respond with an ambulance company that does the medical. Okay. And their firefighters sort of provide the manpower behind it. For us, I think it's great for the community. Our our firefighters are also paramedics, so we show up, and we're able That's... to provide ambulances and also fire suppression and extrication and that sort of stuff, rescue. The department I started with was the same way. So I think for me, it was just always sort of a combination approach. So luckily, I never had to pivot. I always knew that in the fire service, I was expected to be also a good medical provider. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love medicine. So I was able to go from the EMT to the paramedic route and sort of learn these advanced procedures and more medications and things like that. So for me, it's always been a dual threat, a threat approach where it's like, I, I know I need to be good at paramedicine, but also be a good fireman. That's really cool. Yep. And that seems like an ideal way of doing it. Uh, yeah. When you describe the two approaches, the one that you do seems more intuitive and a little bit more comprehensive to me where yeah. everyone's going in with the correct expectations and it's like, no, we do both. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. And I've never experienced the other system, but the, the one I have experienced, I've loved it. So Good. I think it's a great approach. My last question about this on that air methods podcast, I have my fair share of horrifying stories. There's, <laughs> sure. uh, you know, there was a guy caught in a rock crusher in a quarry, oh, right? Yeah. You know, and like this last one that I just did that they released was a skydiving accident. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, <laughs> like, so I, I'm not looking for horror or gore. Yeah. I'm looking for maybe the silliest or most unusual thing that you've had to encounter in this oh, line man. of work. <laughs> well, we see, I mean, 10 to 25 calls a shift equates to a lot of things that you end up seeing in the public. Sure. <laughs> um, That's a high volume of stuff, yes. Yes, yeah. It, it leaves the door wide open for anything you want to see. <laughs> sure. I, and I don't know if there's a specific call, but I think the thing that's always mind-blowing to me is we work in a fairly upscale neighborhood. It's nice houses, nice community, fairly safe. And a lot of times we go into these houses behind closed doors and the house looks completely different than you would imagine. It <laughs> well, like, like a bomb went off in it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and there is stuff everywhere. I mean, people sometimes do not take care of their house appropriately. Gross. So I think <laughs> never judging a book by its cover is usually supposed to be a positive innuendo. <laughs> uh, but in this case, we usually take it as a negative innuendo where you never know what you're going to get when you walk in the front door. <laughs> you don't know if you're walking into an episode of uh, Hoarders. Exactly. Yeah. Ugh. We have plenty of that. We have plenty of that. <laughs> That's uh, like, and you go, how do you people live like this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really? But we're, we're still expected to provide the same level of care. Sure. <laughs> you know, we don't make any comments about it, but it is, it is mind blowing. And in the back <laughs> of your head, you're always thinking, how do you live like this? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, maybe, maybe this is a reflection of some lifestyle choices. Yeah, it's very true. That, that could have led you down a better path. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I mean, we could talk about the root causes, what it is, but at the end of sure. the day, people still live. Like that. And it is, sometimes it is terrifying, to be honest. (laughs) So um, given that you are a firefighter Mm -hmm. and you maintain a high level of fitness, Mm -hmm. you are now pursuing a record that pertains to Colorado 14ers. Tell me about the origin of that and tell me the reason. So the record is for the Colorado 14ers, obviously 14,000 foot peaks. There's 58 of them in Colorado. And the goal is to summit all of them in the fastest amount of time. <laughs> wow! Uh, in the summertime, so there's okay. there's 
winter record attempts. Uh, there's summertime attempts and all that sort of stuff. So this is a summertime attempt. So you're talking about summoning them just uh, like hiking up them, right? Yep, that's right. correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hiking up, hiking down. And the time essentially starts when I'm below the first peak and then ends when I finish the last peak. Okay. So it's a continuous running clock from number one to number 58. Drive time counts, sleep time counts, all that sort of stuff. And the current record is nine days and 21 hours. Jeez. <laughs> to do all 58. That the <laughs> That seems prohibitive. Yeah, and my record is to go uh, sub nine days. Two hundred and sixteen hours is the way I'm building the plan. Okay. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I mean, at at a very basic level, I think I just was looking for an amazing goal to pursue. Yeah, but that a, that is an amazing one. <laughs> I wanted something that was going to challenge me and give me something to work towards. But at a, at a deeper level, I think. It sort of started with when I was in high school, my mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was 16, and then she did three years of chemotherapy and radiation and surgeries, which in high school, I mean, it hits you, but it hits you different than looking back on it, I think. Sure. You know, when you're, I was in the middle of like football and sports and baseball and doing all this stuff. So obviously it was, you know, it was hard for our family. And I was like, yeah, it's horrible. My mom has cancer. This sucks. But I didn't really take away a lot of lessons from it, I think. Until yeah, when, when you're a teenager, you're sort of necessarily self-involved, Yeah, which it, like isn't a knock on teenagers. It's just the way you have to experience the world yeah. because being a teenager is, is intense enough as it is. Yeah. When you add this in, that's almost like a survival instinct in my estimation. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think I have two siblings and we were all, I'm the oldest, so I was expected to you know drive them to practices when my dad was at surgery with my mom and stuff like that. Yeah. And I definitely took over more of like a, a parenting role for a little while while she was pretty sick. At the end of the day, I mean, looking back on it now, retrospectively, it's easy to say that I don't think she would have fared so well. She's cancer-free for four years now. That's phenomenal. Terrific. Yeah, Yeah. super, super great. And I don't think she would have done that well if she didn't have such a high level of fitness going into it. Mm. She was a triathlete, uh, a marathon runner. I mean, she weighed like 115 pounds and was super good shape, super good runner. Wow. So, And watching her go through chemotherapy and radiation, it was like, I don't know how you could do this if you had other things you were also worried about. Right. Like if you had other comorbidities that were feeding into this disease process, I don't know how people fare so well. Sure. I, I had a guy on this show, his name was Patrick Sheridan. Mm-hmm. He had pancreatic cancer. Oh, uh, yeah. what, what what kind did your mom have, if, she you, had, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She had a soft tissue cancer called leiomyosarcoma. Okay. So it's a rare form that sat in her abdomen, but it could lodge in any sort of soft tissue. Understood. Yeah. So pancreatic cancer is a real bitch. Yeah. <clears throat> when he started, he was like 190, 195 pounds. Okay. He got down to like 140. Yeah. And so like he said the fact that he actually like had some heft to him and yeah. the fact that your mom had muscle mass and was like an athlete and yeah. had good cardio and stuff. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. That yeah. that's going to equip you to to be able to fight it a little bit better just because your body is attuned yeah, absolutely. to to performing at a high level. Yeah, and I and I think if you have other things that you're also worried about on top of a disease process that's cancer, and then you have to deal with chemotherapy, yeah. which is, I mean, chemotherapy is a horrible drug. Yes. It's, it's life-saving, but it's horrible. <laughs> well, basically, it what what chemo does is, this, this is the way it was explained to me, is it's strong enough to almost kill you. Yeah. But kill the cancer. Yeah. Right? So you're, you're dealing in a very narrow kind of window here. Yeah. Of like, it's going to almost kill you. Yeah. Because we need to kill this thing that is trying to leech off of you. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And I'm not an oncologist, but the way that they always explain it to us was any sort of rapidly dividing cell is what it's targeting, which is cancer, which is also some like endothelial squamous cells in your lungs, mm. your hair, 
your fingernail cells, all that sort of stuff. Jeez. So, so, I mean, it is targeting the cancer, but also targeting so many other sorts of cells. Oh, man. Okay. So, yeah, rapidly dividing, grow. Like, yeah, yeah, because your hair and your fingernails, that's all growing all the time. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. I mean, it, it's literally killing you from the inside out slowly and painfully. And it also may be saving you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is terrifying and it's horrible to watch from the outside. I mean, because it, it, it's like there's nothing you can do yeah. that I could do or even that really my mom could do besides just accept an IV with drugs in it. And it's yeah. horrible. And, and basically grit your teeth and yeah. just keep moving forward. Yeah. I remember when she would go to her cancer infusion or her chemo infusions not cancer infusions, <laughs> chemo infusions. and That's she, like some supervillain thing. Yeah, yeah. She would have to, I mean, we would pre- like prep the house for when she got home because we knew that she was going to be so sick. And this was happening at times like once or twice a week. Oh. So, I mean, just watching her go through that, it was like looking back on it now especially, it's so motivating to be to want to like do these things that help my health because yeah. one, if I ever have to do that, I'm better prepared but two, because I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I don't think any – if anyone had to watch someone go through that, I think people would be much more motivated to want to take their health into their own hands. Sure. <clears throat> that makes good sense to me. No. But I would say the goal that you're having is like the last logical endpoint <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of what you're expressing here. That is very true. That is very true. I mean I think it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely a large goal compared to just being healthy. I mean it was sort of born out of this idea that I wanted to – help motivate people to just throw on a pair of shoes and get outside and just somehow improve the physical fitness. And not saying that you have to hike all the Colorado 14ers in all nine days. All 58 of them? Yeah. Even if you just go for a walk every day, you know, right. a mile a day or whatever you want, a half mile a day or whatever you want to do, I think people could be so much better prepared for the disease processes and, and stuff like that, which is why with the record attempt, we have a, a documentary-based film crew out of L.A. that's coming out. Wow. That's going to be filming – um, some B-roll footage in May, and then also the attempt in July. Okay, just to sort of you know promote this idea of one. I think people are moved by h- human feats of accomplishment, and people are motivated by that. And two, just just the mindset of like you can do whatever you put your mind to. Yeah, one thing that I'm curious about. So you chose July, which yep. feels intuitively to me just like me, you know, parachuting out of nowhere here. Yeah, <laughs> feels like the correct choice. Yeah, right. I, I mean. I, we've been talking now for 15 minutes, and yeah. I go, yeah, that seems intuitive. But I interviewed someone on this show. Her name is Erin Parisi, mm-hmm. and she does an organization called Transcending Seven, where she's trying to do all seven of the highest peaks okay. uh, on each continent. Yeah. And one thing you cannot account for is weather. Yeah. Right? Is, yeah. So talk to me about what goes into July and what are your contingency plans for weather, because Colorado is pretty unpredictable. Absolutely, yeah. And if you actually look at weather, and I sort of know it's going in, July is actually a fairly rough time for weather, especially late July, which mm-hmm. is my goal. So originally, I wanted to do late August. Okay. A lot of the peaks nowadays are private, though, and they require certain passes to climb ah. them. And unfortunately, one of those peaks is closed in August. They do huh. they do private sheep hunts, and they cost $80,000. So what is was, a private <laughs> sheep hunt? Uh, I'm not totally sure, but I think people buy a tag to go shoot a large bighorn sheep on okay. private property. So I offered to buy a tag before I knew the price. Ah. And, then, and then they told me, and then they told me it was eighty thousand, and that eighty thousand. Yeah, that's correct. 80, Jesus, 000. dude, that's the price I was told. So that quickly changed to I guess we'll hike in July. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to leave June open to continue training, and I yeah. want to get a couple uh, get a couple more peaks under my belt before we start the attempt. So that pretty much left the end of July as the only option. Okay, so that's like your only window. Yeah. Okay, yeah. you said it's rough weather wise. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's really. 
You go too early, you hit snow. Yep. You go too late, you hit snow. You go in the middle, you hit rain and lightning. <laughs> so it's like you have to accept at some point that you're going to be hiking through something. Sure. So the contingencies I do have in place are, one, I'm a huge fan of control what you can control. So I can train as hard as I possibly can. I can build the best possible support crew. I can prepare my body and my crew as best as possible to handle the adversities. But you're right. I can't control weather, and I can't control fires. That's the other main thing that I see oh, is, sure, yeah. is wildfire shutting down roads. So the way I've built that into logistical plan is on some of the days, it's sort of like you can go here and do these peaks, or you can go here mm. and do these peaks. Okay. And obviously there's a choice A and a choice B, and one is better than the other, but it would not totally cancel the record attempt, and I think it would still leave the door open for some choices. Okay. When did you come up with this idea? I, originally... Uh, it was probably, I think I first started thinking about it probably last year in January. Okay. Um, and I had climbed a ton of 14ers before that, but not it was all recreational, not for any sort of competition, just sure. because me and my friends like to hike. How, how many? I have done all of them at this point. <laughs> so um, you've already done them all once? I have done them all once, some of them a few times, but I had only recently completed that last summer. So okay. I actually set the goal of climbing all of them the fastest before I had even seen all of them, <laughs> <laughs> which is sort of counterintuitive. No, that's, that's a bold <laughs> choice, man. Yeah, Go for yeah, it. Yeah. It definitely set the standard high and motivated me to get out and hike a little more. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, last January, and I was actually in a fire academy when I first sort of started about it. A fire academy was Monday through Friday, pretty much 50 hours a week. Wow. So it, it definitely made hiking on the weekends pretty much impossible because your body's beat up after a week of academy yeah so i started really training hard for it in june of last year with the idea starting in january so june july and august september of last year was a lot of peaks and mountains and then this summer and this winter has also been will be huge have been huge okay so tell me a little bit about your training regimen because going into something like this 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 is battle conditions bro yeah like (laughs) and and I'm, i'm interested in how like I want to talk more about logistics here, but okay. first let's do training okay. because in terms of training, like I was a uh, captain of my high school swim team okay. and right before big meets, they would taper us, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. you go hard, you're, you're building, you're building, or I mean, in a lot of ways, you're kind of tearing yourself down. Yeah. And then as you're recovering, you know, you're sort of fine tuning things. Yeah. How does your training regimen look mm-hmm. and, and what types of things are you doing to get ready for this? So starting in January of last year, it's almost like I had so much time until July of this year where that was a problem. And two, <laughs> it was like no one no, – there's no playbook for how to train for a Colorado 14-year record attempt. Huh. You know, True. You can climb Everest. You can f- follow some – like there's some training plans for that. But like there's no 14-year training coaches. You know, there's Ironman coaches and triathlete coaches and all this stuff. True. But there's really no professionals that coach in this sort of thing. So I've sort of taken the approach of self-coaching – using science-based approaches and and stuff I've learned over the time of doing this. But my approach right now is I'm placing a huge emphasis on total time on feet. So I base my work, my work week is a six day work week because of our firefighter schedule. So two days on four days off. So I, every week is six days for me is how I base it. And in six days, my weekly volume right now is about 80 miles on of running on foot. Jeez. Um, and then I'll usually incorporate three to four strength training sessions in with that just to prevent injury and stay strong for the job. Like a lot of ultra runners are amazing runners, but I'm not sure that they'd be strong enough to, you know, to pull someone out of a house. No. And I'm not willing to sacrifice that. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to be able to stay fit for duty and to be able to accomplish the jobs I have to because I took an oath as a fireman, but also be a, a, a very good ultra marathon runner and be able to run these long distances. 
You know, so you're talking about time on feet. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of what you hear from cyclists. Yeah. Like part of what you have to train is like your saddle. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. you're, you're going to like that. It's wear and tear yeah. on where you're sitting on your seat. Like it's yeah. painful. Yeah, absolutely. And if it, even someone like I haven't been on a bike in forever, but I'll get on it. And if I'm on it for like, you know, if we're on vacation, and we rent bikes or something. Yeah. After like a couple hours, I'm like, good God, like it hurts yeah. in here. <laughs> yeah. And, and so like you're toughening up your feet in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Do you ever worry about like when you when you talk to MMA trainers mm-hmm. uh, or boxing coaches, the head injuries don't come from the fights. Yeah. It comes from all the training. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Do you worry about burning out your feet? Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a huge component of that. And I think to give you some comparison, like right now, my minimum daily step goal is 35,000 steps. Good God. Your minimum? Minimum. So many days I'm exceeding that. (laughs) Okay. But that's the goal is just to build up pretty much my lower extremities and posterior chain to be able to handle that amount of volume. Yeah. That doesn't also come without a large amount of recovery modalities. Sure. And I think when I first started last summer, I was placing so much emphasis on training and Ah. so little emphasis on recovery that that's a very quick way to burn yourself out and to get injured. That's hard too, isn't it? Yeah. Because you're motivated. It's like, got to push, got to push, got to push, yeah. right? Yeah. How hard is it to adjust your mindset? Like, no, this resting that I'm doing yeah. is, uh, or actually talk me through what, what uh, you, you mentioned recovery modalities. Yeah. What are they? First of all, I, I've, I know I've heard online and in social media that a lot of self-coached athletes have a really hard time taking those down weeks or mm. doing this recovery type stuff. Because when you're self-coached and self-motivated, I think it's so easy just to be like, I'm going to keep pushing. Just go, go, and go, yeah, go. I right? had this goal in mind, yeah. and I'm not going to stop till I get there. But I had to learn very quickly that my knees started hurting, ah. <laughs> and my feet started hurting, and I, you know, I couldn't squat anymore because my lower back started hurting. And this mm. was you know, last summer I learned all these things. So now it really starts with before the run with nutrition is a huge thing, mm. and recovery is a huge thing. So for me, it's stretching before and after every workout is a, is a major part of it. And then with, as far as recovery, I do a ton of sauna and cold exposure. Oh. So every morning I'll do some sort of cold exposure with cold shower or an ice bath or something like that in the morning. <laughs> and then at night, I always do 20 to 30 minutes in the sauna. Okay. And a lot of times I'll cycle those where I'll do sauna, ice bath, sauna, ice bath. And um, what does that do for you? For me, there's a ton of new research out there. That's, every day I feel like there's something new. For me, mentally, it, I love the sauna. It just makes me feel good before yeah, I go sure, to sleep. Yeah. Like, it's, just, it's great. I feel like I get so vasodilated. I'm able to stretch. I'm able to really work out the lactic acid. As far as the science, I know that they're talking about with cold exposure, you get uh, brown adipose tissue, brown fat buildup, which helps with like, metabolic rate, which mm. is probably true. I don't, I'm not a neuroscientist. <laughs> sure. um, I'm not doing it purely because of that. And then as far as the sauna, I know they talk about heat shock proteins and the ability to release lactic acid and some of the chemicals that are built up throughout the day of training volume. Mm. So I'm sure that's all a part of it. <laughs> yeah. And it's definitely a benefit. But for me, I mean, it just gives me a space where I can relax. And then I'll do a lot of static stretching in the sauna. So just, I mean, exactly sure. what you would think of as far as like lunges and stretching and, right. you know, whatever, whatever is sore, just stretch that out a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> just while you're in the sauna, just standing there. Yeah. yeah. So static stretching makes sense. How long are you in the cold bath? I try to do 30 minutes a week. Okay. Which is like five, five minutes a day. 
Yeah. On average, four to five minutes is what I try to do with cold shower or cold exposure of some sort. Do you enjoy it or is it torturous? Uh, I definitely first started and I absolutely hated it. Yeah. And my friends will tell you, I have a friend that is... It's rough, dude. If you've never done it, yeah. it's insane how oh. how brutal it actually is. Well, and I have a friend that he can like jump in a cold lake. He'd always make fun of me because he would just jump in. We'd go, we lived in Fort Collins and he would jump in horse tooth <laughs> when it was frozen <laughs> and be totally fine. Like swim across it, be totally fine. And... He's like making fun of me because I'm this like runner and supposed to be in good shape. Sure. And I'm just terrified of the cold water. I used to be. (laughs) (laughs) But once I started doing cold exposure on a more regular basis, it's just a shift where you know it's going to suck and you're mentally prepared for it, but it it just sucks less every day that you do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true of everything. Yeah. Whether you're talking about cold exposure or going to the gym or flossing. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because like. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. Mitch Hedberg has a joke. He's like, you know, some people get nervous uh, like. they're going to stop smoking. And he goes, yeah. I'm as nervous when I start flossing. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You're like, Oh God. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. So yeah, the more you do it, but it's so funny. The first time you get in something super cold like that, mm-hmm. you literally feel like you can't breathe. Yeah. Like very all true. of a sudden you're, you're like, Oh, and yeah. you can't get your air. Yeah, absolutely. It's and terrifying. I, I read a study about, Cold exposure is one of the only universal things that provides the same amount of dopamine rush in all humans. Really? So it's like one of the, you know, people get aroused and excited by different things, but cold exposure is one of the only universal, like similar to like a gunshot or something like that, where people would get the same sort of adrenaline dump that you would get is cold exposure. Wow. Which is mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm going to put that in my pocket and <laughs> break that out of my next cocktail party. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. phenomenal. <laughs> so, okay, you mentioned, uh, so doing something like this, mm-hmm. you obviously can't do it alone. No. Uh, because, and, and if you did, I mean, that's, that, that's like a fool's errand at that well, point. Well, and <laughs> to give you perspective, there's a guy that, there's a, there is a self-supported record of this version, okay. but it's almost double the amount of time. Sure. Just because you have to drive yourself and all that sort of stuff. Okay. So how big a team do you have surrounding you? So the goal at any given point during the attempt is to have a minimum of eight to nine people plus a film crew plus myself. Wow. So that puts me at more like 15 if you count everyone. <clears throat> but eight to nine support people that will be in three separate vehicles mm-hmm. sort of to help with everything. Did you have to fundraise for this? Yeah, so that's been a huge thing. So <laughs> I started off with thinking I have to just hike a bunch of mountains and this will be really affordable and I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that quickly changed from, wow, this is really affordable to, wow, this is really expensive. Yeah. And even just, I think if you, at this point, like. You're if, talking about 58 mountains, bro. Yeah, yeah. And I was <laughs> very naive to the cost of this attempt, I think, in the beginning. Um, so I started off thinking, oh, this will be fine. But now it's like, I think that the logistics had to be so perfect for this attempt because of how fast the time frame is. There's little to no room for error with yeah. logistics. Well, you mentioned you want to do it sub nine days. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. eight days. That's and like something. seven peaks a day. Yeah, that's correct. That's yeah. that's a lot of peaks in a day, man. Yeah. Well, and the other hard part is like a lot of these, because I'll have a support team, you start off at a trailhead, hike the mountain, and finish at a different trailhead. Oh, sure. Which allows you better access to the next peak, which... If you do that one time, it's pretty easy to map out. But doing that 58 times in a row <laughs> becomes very confusing to map out. It's a puzzle. And plan. And yeah. Okay. And I think the more I've planned, the more confusing it's gotten <laughs> every day. That I makes feel sense. Like. Yeah. And I don't know if I'll ever feel fully prepared, but at some point, I feel like I just had to sort of go for it. <laughs> okay. How geographically apart are these 58 peaks from each other? Like, how, are, how many different parts of the state do you have to go to? So, pretty much the entire state. Really? Um, yeah. The, the furthest south peaks are down near Durango. 
Reno, oh, Colorado. Good God, okay. Yeah, which is where I'll start the record attempt. All right. Um, we go as far east as like the San Luis Valley over mm-hmm. there, just like west of um, La Junta in that area. Wow. Yeah, so far south, south of Pueblo, pretty much due south of Pueblo. Okay. Um, and then we'll work through the Front Range and the Sawatch Range, which is near like Buena Vista. Is that like the Collegiate Peaks? The, yep, that's okay. over that way. Yeah, yep, yeah. absolutely. And then we'll finish up near Estes Park, which is Long's Peak. Dude, oh my God! Okay, so, so Durango to Estes Park. Yeah, well, Durango to La Junta. <laughs> yeah, out uh, that way. up through like the middle, like the breadbasket yeah. of the state, essentially. Buena Vista, Salida. Yeah, and then all the way up to God, like Estes Fort Park, Collins. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yep. And then over to Aspen as well. That would be mixed oh, in. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So it's that's a nightmare of scheduling. Well, so you yeah. So it, and not only is it a nightmare of scheduling, but then that's when it really got expensive. Was how do I feed and fuel vehicles and people for nine nine people and three vehicles for nine days? Yeah, <laughs> that's the expensive part. Okay, so uh, how did you go about fundraising? I mean, so far it's it's been ninety eight percent self funded. Wow, up to this point, which has been very expensive. <laughs> yeah, um, and to give you perspective. Instead of buying a house, which was in the <laughs> in the works for this year, I actually bought a van. Okay, which is going to be one of the vehicles for the record attempt. Sure. So I had to definitely make some sacrifices for this attempt, as far as probably not financially smart, because I could have started off at a at a fairly young age and get invested into the market as, with a house. Yeah. But how old are you, time, Drew? I am twenty two. Okay. <laughs> no, you're the perfect age for this. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I could have definitely got into the market at a good age, you know, and started building equity, but. It was a hard decision, but I had, had to just pretty much say, screw it. I want to chase this goal of mine, yeah. and I need, I need the funds for this. Well, Drew, here's the thing, okay? Two things. Like, I, th- this is two guiding philosophies of my life. <clears throat> One, make bold choices, and the universe will reward you for it. Yeah. Number two, Warren Miller always said, do it this year, because if you don't, you'll be one year older when you do. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I I would say even just based on what I know from following a lifetime of following sports. Yeah. You're not even at your peak yet. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of athletes, they talk about 28 as being their yeah, peak. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. But when you're 28, you have the burden of experiencing more of the world. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that you're young yep. and the, the fact that you're ambitious like this, you can't get that back. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Because, yeah. like, the older you get, the more you sort of see obstacles and roadblocks in the way. Yeah. And so you being 22 years old, I think, is to your benefit because it's like, no, like through sheer iron will and determination, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to make this happen. Well, and I think it's also out of like pure, honestly, just being naive and stupid. I think last year it was just like, <laughs> I haven't hiked all the peaks, but I'm going to climb them really fast. <laughs> and I, I think if you're older and pro- your frontal lobe is fully developed, <laughs> you probably don't think that way. <laughs> probably not. So I think it's... Probably a benefit in some ways. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, I sacrificed a bunch of my 20s to trying to build this website. And uh-huh. so, like, my friends would be out, and I'm like, I got to stay home and, like, write, or I got to code. Like, because yeah. we had a very ambitious kind of writing goal. Yeah. And I just went for it, and I go, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. Like, and I probably wasn't. Yeah. Like, I wasn't thinking all the way. But I am grateful for having done that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, you will buy a house at some point. Yeah. <laughs> but... You know, don't take the boring path. Like, this is... Dude, I, I'm i all about it. I think it's phenomenal. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, and I mean, I think a part of it is, like, I just had to say, 
this is something I'm passionate about and this is what I want to do and everything else kind of gets put on hold for now. And I've had to sacrifice a lot because of that. I mean, yeah. you know, at 22, I would, I'm supposed to be a senior in college right now is mm-hmm. where I would be at if I was still in school, if I went to a four year. But like I said, I've been in the fire service since I graduated high school and I definitely had to sacrifice, you know, at 22, I think a lot of my friends just, you know, want to go to the bar and mm-hmm. hang out and drink, which is, you know, it can be fun. But it started off with me feeling bad that I, or like having FOMO of missing out on those things, you know, fear of missing out on, mm-hmm. on some a good time at the bar or something like that. And it's turned into like being so thankful that I have a reason to not go, which is weird. And it's definitely yeah. it's been a mindset shift. But I think when I had these goals and I was like, well, I'm either going to go to the bar and drink and then feel like crap the next day. Yeah. And I'm going to train because I have this goal or I'm going to get seven, eight hours of sleep and feel totally fine and then go train. <laughs> And how much more beneficial is that? So it's definitely been a mindset shift to have to adjust to. I coach people through public speaking and presentations. Mm -hmm. And I tell them the mindset shift you need to have is a lot of people, when they have a speaking opportunity, they'll go, I have to do this. Yeah. And I go, no. If you are public speaking, it's because you have an opportunity. Right. It's because someone thinks enough of you that you they want you to present this in public. Yeah. So shift it from I have to to I get to. Yeah, that's right. Right. Makes so sense, yeah. for you, there's plenty of time to go drink. Trust me. Yeah. Like yeah. I, <laughs> I've as someone who went to a four year college. Yeah. I spent tons of time drinking at bars <laughs> with friends. Yeah. And I don't regret those times, but it's but if I had an opportunity like this, would I have been smart enough to seize it? Right. I don't know that I would have. Right. Right. So the fact that, that you're there and you can shift your mindset in that way yeah. is to your advantage because, dude, first of all, tomorrow is promised to no one. You yeah. see that every single day. Yeah, absolutely. But statistically, we're probably all in line for a good long life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the fact that you can do this now, put that other stuff on hold, buying a house, going right. out with friends, drinking in bars. Yeah. That'll all come, man. But yeah. this kind of thing doesn't come along... <laughs> Hardly right. ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like when I get, if you get a wife and kids and a house and all these other responsibilities, <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden leaving for a whole summer just to go climb mountains becomes very, very difficult. Uh, yes. Let me tell you all <laughs> about that. Not that I have perspective, but <laughs> well, no, it sounds but, like it. <laughs> but intuitively, like yeah. you, you know that to be true. And yeah. I can tell you as someone who lives that life, yes. Yeah. You yeah. have to be much more intentional about your choices. So for me, I even started this show. So we're just past the nine year anniversary. Mm-hmm. My daughter turns nine this year. And I started this show because, like, I wanted to start it. We didn't think we were going to get pregnant. But all of a sudden, my wife is pregnant. And I go, oh, I have to do it now. Yeah. Because if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Yeah. Like, once this new baby comes, I need to be good enough at this show to where I can figure out where to slot it in. Right. But I can't, like, I can't start something new after she's born. Yeah. And so, to your point, yeah, you are burdened by very little in terms of obligation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, no wife, no mortgage payment, no yeah. you know, no kids, nothing like that. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, hell yeah, go yeah. for it. And on, I think on the flip side of that, there's definitely still been some sacrifices that have been made even without obligation. Oh yeah. Because I feel like for me And I'm not diminishing that at all. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. It was it was more along the lines of like honestly for me what I want to place value on and it was social life looking for a girlfriend, you know, looking to seriously date, all of that stuff has definitely gotten pushed to the back burner. And right now it's been a hundred percent focused on this record attempt and what effort can I put into that? Yeah. And I think for me, it's even more along the lines of, I have to do so much stuff in a day where it's like, I have to do this and this and this. And the thing that gets sacrificed a lot of times is the amount of sleep that I get now. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and before work I run after dinner at work, I run at lunch at work 
it's more miles. Yeah. And I think that's been a huge part of it is just the time commitment that it takes to train for – to get 70 miles in a week, I mean, that's a lot of time. That, yeah, that's, that's a commitment. lot of – So finding – Is it 10 miles a day? Yeah. On average? Yeah, on average. On average, that's about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know yeah. you're not doing that every day. Yeah, right. Some days more, some days less. I, right. Some yeah. days maybe – well, you said 35,000 steps a day yeah. is your goal. Holy God. Yeah. So I go to Orange Theory three times a week. Mm-hmm. And I feel really good about that. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but I'm listening to you. I'm like, whoa, dude. This is like, <laughs> this is like me playing beer league softball and you playing major league <laughs> baseball. <laughs> well, and my goal is definitely not to make anyone feel no, bad. I, no, I, I, that's <laughs> yeah. not how I take it. But uh, yeah. like, there are so many levels above wherever you think right, you yeah. are, and and that's like I don't feel bad about my level at all. Right. Like yeah. I'm I'm pleased with where I'm at. I, yeah. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. But to hear about it, it's just, it's always like, it's both daunting and inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, even the more I get into ultra running, the more I find other people that are ultra-er runners. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's a guy that I found on social media a while back. He's a firefighter in California, and he's on his 160th week, I think, of running 100 miles or more a week, <sighs> which is, I mean, that's over three years now of running 100 miles a week. That's that's like sixteen thousand miles. Yeah. So me running seventy miles a week for the last couple, you know, year. <laughs> it, when you put it in perspective to that, it's not even it's not even close. Do so, uh, <laughs> I, so I I've I had an ultra runner on this show. Okay. Uh, his name is Bard Parnell, mm-hmm. and uh, great guy. I met him in graduate school, and at the time in the culture, I don't know. He must have had a really good publicist, but like sort of the the one ultra runner that most people know is a guy named Dean Carnazes. Okay. So. I had learned about him, but one of the things you'll read about ultra runners is like after an ultra marathon, like your toenails will pop off and yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. Does that happen to you? Yeah. So I did, there's a David Goggins challenge where it's four miles every four hours. And I did, I did that, but then we doubled it a couple months later and did eight miles every four hours. Okay. And we did it from, I say we, I had like a little team that went with us. Mm-hmm. We did it from Colorado Springs to California. Jesus. And we would I would I would run eight miles and then whatever remaining time was left of that four hour block, I would get in the car and drive to the next spot and then repeat, repeat, repeat. Mm-hmm. And then for the last one I finished with a half marathon in California. Ugh. Which was beautiful and also extremely sure. challenging. But at the end of that, uh the last the two the last two AM section, so which was like I think at mile maybe ninety at that point. Uh, it was pouring rain, and it, there was flooding in California, and I was running through some small streams, mm-hmm. sort of by accident. But my feet were so beat up and soggy at that point that on my left foot, my big toenail and my like middle toenail were uh, essentially gone by the end of the Ugh. run. And it was so cold where I didn't even know it until I got back in the car and heated, like warmed up again, and then the pain really kicked yeah. in. Yeah. And then I had to run that last half marathon with no toenails. So. Ah! <laughs> I, I definitely experienced that with running. <laughs> Bro, you're a wild man. <laughs> okay, so you average out to about seven peaks a day mm-hmm. as you attempt this record. Seven plus peaks a day. Yep. How long does each peak take? Approximately. It really, de- it really depends. I mean, some of the, some of these peaks are you know they break them down class one to class five. Mm-hmm. So a, class five being the hardest. A lot of them are class two to three, which means you know, a fairly easy hike, moderate exposure, not a lot of climbing moves. So those will obviously be faster, faster hikes. But then you go into looking at some of the mountains in the Elk Range or the Little Bear Blanco Traverse and some of these more technical ones where an average pace of two miles an hour seems really really slow when you're Mm -hmm. on a normal walking path. And all of a sudden, two miles an hour seems like you're flying when you're 2,000 feet in the air on a cliff. (laughs) Sure. So 
it really depends. Um, and some of the days will be more like nine or ten peaks because okay. there's a bunch of easy. And then some of the, one of the days will be you know four or five peaks. Okay. Um, just because the amount of technical climbing that's involved with those peaks or the access or stuff like that. Wow. So. Yeah. All right, man. Well, July is coming up. We are as we sit here. It's like the end of March. Yep. You've got about three months to go. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? Good. I have a countdown on my phone that I started probably last year, but it hit 118 days this morning. Mm. So just under four months, 16 weeks, okay. which for me, is just, it's just a constant reminder every time I wake up in the morning and I, I don't want to go for a run or workout yeah. or whatever. I look at the number and it's just one day closer every day. So I feel good though. My training plan has been has been great. I've had great support so far from family and friends that want to come out and help the record attempt and help be a part of the support crew. So things are falling in place. I'm converting out the van right now that I bought instead of the house. Yep. <laughs> uh, and that will be a huge piece of the equation for support. So things are going really well. And I, I've, I see no reason why July 26 is not going to be a success. Amazing. All right. Well, <laughs> here's the time on the show where uh, we do plugs. Where can people find you? Where can they keep up with this journey? Yeah, absolutely. Are, are you posting somewhere? W- websites, whatever you want to plug, do it now. Absolutely. So I have an Instagram. It's drewfrancis.fit. I do all my training and Instagram stories and all that sort of stuff. And then I have a website, drewfrancisfit.com. Um, and then you can read about the attempt on there, some previous things I've done. And then if you feel impelled by the movement, then there's also a place to donate for the fundraising on there. So. Sweet. Well, I'll tell you what. I will put links to both of those places in the companion blog piece. That's on johnofalltrades.us, also in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, wherever you get your pods, it will be in there. Drew Francis, man, this was a delight. Thank you for sharing this journey, and I uh, can't wait to see how it turns out in July. I wish you continued success. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. And that'll do it for episode 347 of the John of All Trades podcast with Drew Francis. He is onward and upward. We're going to have to tune back in in July because I can't wait to hear how it goes. Go to Drew Francis Fit on Instagram or DrewFrancisFit.com to stay up with him. All of that is in the show notes. So listen to us on whatever podcatcher you're on. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Hit that subscribe button. I will love you forever if you do that. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. In addition to doing PR, I also am a podcast producer. This is but one of nine shows that I produce. I'm developing a tenth right now that I know you're going to love. I cannot wait to reveal that to you. That'll be maybe a couple of months from now. But my God, you are going to love it. So hit me up if you have an idea for a show. John at deftcom.us. That's J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I'm on socials, J-O-A-T pod is the handle. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Facebook is the only place for exclusive episode previews. When I have episodes, those go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. Podcatchers everywhere or John of All Trades dot U-S. I'm working on another show for you. That should be coming very soon. That'll be another fun one. That'll be kind of in the online space. We go from the real world to the online space. She is phenomenal. I met her at Orange Theory. You're going to love it. So be sure to tune in for that. Until then, hit up Happy Friday. That's Happy Friday Den on the socials. New episodes drop every Friday. MileHighLife.com. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Tracy. That's good, Johnny.